Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, along with my daughter and co-host, Lauren Simonian, welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Hey, Lauren, how you doing? Welcome back. I'm great. Thanks. Happy New Year, Dad. Well, Happy New Year to you. We are recording this just minutes or hours away from 2021. But boy, this is going to be a great year, right? Yeah, I can feel it. Feel that optimism. All right. Uh, you know what I'd like to do today, Lauren? I'd like to read uh, an email sent by Susan. Can we start off with that? Is that okay with you? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so Susan writes, I'm so tired of trying to please everyone. I feel like I'm not a person. No matter what's asked of me, I usually say yes, even if it puts me out. Just can't say no. Is it because I'm a weak person? I wind up doing what everyone else wants me to do driving myself crazy. Why am I so afraid of saying no? Lauren, would you like to tackle this for me? Yes, I can so relate to what Susan is saying in that email, because I think myself and probably so many people have experienced that feeling of depletion because of the demands of others. And I definitely struggled with that for a long time. And I think some of the reasons that people struggle with saying yes or being a people pleaser is first a desire to avoid conflict. Many of us don't want to let others down. We don't want others to be angry or disappointed. And so we just keep saying yes, even when it's not in our own best interest. That also sometimes equates to this self-worth, this feeling of helping others is what makes us worthy, um, which is not actually true, but sometimes that's programmed from childhood. Lastly, I would say Susan just hasn't had a chance to establish clear and firm boundaries for herself, which I think is a problem that, or I shouldn't say a problem, but I think that's something that a lot of people can work on is establishing those clear boundaries. It, that it, it's, it's simple, it's simple and complex, but yet once you master that, I think a lot can shift quickly. Lauren, I wanna ask you about boundaries, but first you said, Helping others makes us feel worthy, I, I, th I think. And you correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't take it personally. But uh, did you mean not so much helping others, but giving others at your own expense, always saying yes kind of thing? Mm. Yeah. But anyway, th that was that was just an observation. I think I think that's what you meant, that it's the saying yes part that really diminishes us. When yeah, I think there's the dynamics between you know, giving, 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 but not necessarily receiving. Mm -hmm. So we feel like we, we fill ourselves up by giving and yet it's not like a real receiving, if that makes sense. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And you use the term boundaries. I mean, I've, I've heard the term, of course, but I'd like you to define that for us. Mm. Boundaries to me, it's, it's an energetic or an imaginary, uh, like bubble <laughs> that surrounds you. And it, 
it preserves your integrity. It allows for you to be who you are without others interfering. So you live your life from your own sense and your own value system. And then you project outwards as opposed to others impeding in on you. So a boundary is, is a clear and definite place where your responsibility ends and the person on the other side of the boundaries responsibility begins. So having a clear boundary, it, it stops you from doing things for others that they should be doing for themselves. Hmm. No. That was, <laughs> very, a, that was very good. Pretty good, right? A little um, aggressive, though. I'm in a bubble, as you say, a bubble. I like that. So, so I'm in my bubble, and which is okay, but bubbles need to be sort of semi-permeable. Yeah, where people... <laughs> Things can flow in and out of that bubble. It's not. It's not so uh, rigid that. And and I guess for some people, their bubbles are rigid, where they're just so insulated and their boundaries are so rigid that uh, no one is allowed in. And I guess that has a lot to do with insecurity. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that reminds me of a quote I had heard that says, "Walls keep everybody out." And boundaries teach people where the door is so there always has to be an access point because with some people you don't really need strong boundaries like your closest people um, you want them close and you want to be able to be vulnerable with people that you trust so I think yeah like you said you, you don't want to be completely insulated uh, because that's kind of the opposite of living a worthwhile life but you also don't want to be completely permeable because then you're at the mercy of others at, at all times you know, going back to Susan, she she's what I would call a, a yes person or a, a pleaser. Uh, it's it's not uncommon, and I, I often see it in my patients in therapy where it it becomes such a, a reflexive habit, and trying to get out of that habit brings up all kinds of anxieties. Now, I, I guess I look at it from from the dynamic of insecurity that. When we do what everyone wants us to do, when we please people, we pretty much know we're going to get a positive response. Because if someone says, hey, can you give me a hand? And I say, sure, no problem, even though it is a problem, you could pretty much rest on the fact that that person is going to be pleased. So you avoid any conflict. But if you really want to say no, then of course, you don't know what kind of reaction you're going to get. So it may cause waves, that person may not like you, uh, that person may do all kinds of things that terrify you, but that comes from insecurity. So when we try to stay safe by being a pleaser, by being a yes person, aren't we, in a sense, just trying to avoid conflict? Yes. Yes. I'm very familiar with that because I think for a long time that was my motivation and why for so many years I would get sucked into doing things that didn't feel good. And I, I became aware, I think I was always aware, and I'm sure Susan is too, that we only have a finite amount of time to live on this earth. And so if we're constantly doing things that aren't aligned with, with our with our values or the things that make us feel good, then we're kind of in a way just, you know, wasting our time at the expense of others. And not to say that we shouldn't be helping others like you had mentioned earlier, but I kind of look at it like this. This is kind of how I discern what I say yes to and what I don't. And I ask myself the question, how am I going to show up for this event or this invitation? And there's always two ways for me. The first way is 
I can show up fully charged, present, engaged, and with no resistance. Even if it's something I don't you know, necessarily enjoy doing, if I'm in a state of mind and being where I know that helping someone's really aligned with what I want to do that day, like I can show up with no resistance and I can enjoy the process of helping. So if I'm going to be able to show up in that state, then the answer is a clear yes. But if there's a part of me that feels resentful or irritated, or there's any sort of like lingering resistance, then I know my answer has to be no, because if I show up in that state, not only am I doing a disservice for myself, but also for that person I'm showing up for, I'm not there fully. And so I try to give of myself only when I can be in a place that is worthy of giving. You know, you mentioned things that make us feel good. Now, if I were to do just the things that make me feel good, of course, I think I'd get in a lot of trouble. And I probably would be doing things that uh, are contrary to a lot of people's expectations for me. So it, it's, it's, it's a, there's a caveat between doing what, what feels good and doing what's necessary. Uh, somewhere in between, I think, I'm just struggling with how do you differentiate between, you know, that, that kind of Bacchanalian feeling of just doing what you want to do because you want to do it and, you know, what the demands of life are. How do you differentiate just going with feelings and, and just living in this world? Yeah, I don't know that you have to differentiate. I think that, you know, you can you can and you should do the things that feel good. You can and you should do the things that are necessary and anything that feels elevating. Like those are the three things that should be yeses. You don't necessarily have to enjoy doing the things that are necessary. Like it doesn't have to feel good, but at least you can still approach those things without resistance. Mm -hmm. So if you know you have to wash the dishes, you can do it without, you know, cursing the dishes the entire time. Um, you can use your time by being in flow with whatever you're doing as opposed to being in resistance to it. Yeah, well, resistance is a good word. It's, you know, it, it, when we do things that, that we resist, we create friction, as you say, washing dishes or anything else. When, when we have to commit ourselves to the tasks of life, I think it's important to yield to those tasks rather than resisting and and just wishing we were somewhere else or doing something different. When when we just give ourselves over to the tasks of life, that's called yielding. And yielding is a way to reduce friction. One way to produce friction in your life is to resent everything that you need to do. Now, I'm not talking about what you feel like doing. I'm talking about life's demands again. And, and if life demands or have to do with doing the bills or walking the dog or whatever it may be, and if you do that with resentment, you create friction and you're kind of paving the way for a not so happy life, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, re resistance and friction, it definitely, you know, it, it, it can send your brain in a, in a tizzy. Is that a word? Tizzy. Tailspin. Tailspin. Excuse me one second, Lauren. No, <laughs> just practicing. I'm getting better at it as this. I like how you're on. practicing that because I think something that a lot of people don't, you know, practice is using no as a full sentence because um, it's awkward and and we're we sort of believe that we have to justify everything we don't want to do when in fact that's not actually true. You know, I, I recall writing in one of my books about the, about just 
just practice saying that word, just stand in front of a mirror and practice saying no. I mean, we're so knee-jerk reflexive when it comes to saying yes, that we don't ever hesitate to just let no roll off our lips. Try it once in a while. I think it's a good idea, especially in low conflict situations, you know, someone that you're relatively close to and trust, give it a no once in a while and, and just grit your teeth, hang on, fasten your seatbelt and see if the world ends. And, and if it doesn't, well, but then again, if it does, you won't have anything to worry about. But if the world doesn't end, then you learn something and you say, hmm, that wasn't so bad. So no, Lauren. Yeah. And I, I think when you say practice, I actually think that's a great idea. The word no, like if somebody says, oh, will you come and help me? You know, I'm moving tomorrow. Will you come help me? If you just say no, uh, likely that's going to come off really harsh and aggressive. So you can think about what is your no? Like, how do you say your no? And maybe you have a few versions of it, but if you're comfortable with them, it might be more accessible in the moment. Like maybe you would say, <laughs> so sorry, I won't be able to help, but I hope you know, I hope it all goes well. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, that's 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 an excellent, excellent, excellent point. And and I didn't truly mean to just say no in your face, no. But you're absolutely right. You've got to not not necessarily say no, but you've got to accomplish the no. So you have to extricate yourself from doing those things that you don't want to do just to save face, to serve your insecurity, whatever the, the nefarious need may be, learning to say no really means just learning to find a way to not necessarily hand yourself over and have that bubble be pricked. Yeah. And if you're unsure in the moment, if you're not sure if something does or does not feel right to you, then another tactic is to buy yourself some time and let that person know you'll let them know later because that gives you time to really get clear on whether or not it's something that feels good to you. And if not, you can have your practiced no ready uh, to go back to that uh, person. And every week you talk about time. Last week you talked about slowing time down. Now you're buying time. <laughs> are we slowing down or are we buying more time? <laughs> well, no, I just think like sometimes, you know, in a conversation that, you know, especially if it's feeling uncomfortable for you to put to, in to what you feel like is letting someone down, you might need time to get yourself yeah. ready to say that. So yeah. it allows you because a lot of us, it's just like a knee jerk response in the moment to say yes. Um, or, or I'll help you. And then afterwards, we, we wish that we hadn't said that so quickly, because it's harder to get out of it. So yeah, I was I was just kidding. I mean, I understand. Oh. <laughs> I understand slowing down time has nothing to do with buying time when I was just throwing that out there just to get <laughs> off balance, which I succeeded to, in doing. Do you know the character from Friends, Phoebe? Yes, I do. <laughs> if, if, you know, I have a daughter who, who, whenever I walked in the house, had Phoebe on TV. So it's, of course, I know who Phoebe is. <laughs> well, Phoebe, in, in one of the episodes of Friends, I think that the characters are moving or they're doing something and they ask for her help. And she goes, oh, I really wish I could help you, but I actually don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it's just such a funny way to say like what you're really thinking, you know, and nobody could respond to that because they yeah. had never been let down the well yeah honesty yet. honesty can be a cleaver you know we have to yeah. some people have no filter <laughs> and and those those people i don't know why but they have this capacity to just stun you 
with their openness and candor. So, so I think that, you know, for the socially adept person, it really does make sense to, to not just take care of your own needs, but on some level, if you care about the other person, to take care about letting them down. And, and that has to do with what you're talking about, framing the no. Sure. And also, I think coming at it from a place of love, like a place of love for self and for the other person, because there's something about, I guess what I had said earlier about knowing that when you are able to show up fully, that's an act of love. So when you are telling someone that you can't do something, knowing full well that it's not something you're invested in, you're not going to be showing up with your full self. It's coming from a from a place of love, like no, letting them know, you know, this time I, I can't be there for you fully. So it's not a yes for me. Hmm. Does that make sense? It's uh, yeah, it's not a yes. <laughs> Go on a little more with that. So I think often we feel like we're being mean or uh, we're not being a good friend or a good person if we say no but the truth is if we're coming at it from a place of love it's that we just know that we're unable to commit to something because we can't show up in a state of love for that thing if we're going to show up in a state of resistance and and mm -hmm. resentment then then we're not able to you know commit in a loving way so mm -hmm. the answer is no got it no um, you, know, you know where I learned to, uh, to say no, or at least I got better at it, uh, was back in, uh, in graduate school. And, you know, I, I have to admit, I used to like to please people at my own expense, but, you know, I was learning. And I had a good friend, and he had an apartment. And he knew that I was handy with woodwork, and he asked me if I would build shelves for him. Built-in shelves, not just shelves. And of course, being the pleaser, I said, yeah, no problem. Well, it turned out to be a problem for me because here I was, you know, in California, didn't have my tools, didn't have access to my normal lumber yard, et cetera. So I had to improvise. Um, I had to find a lumber yard. I had to cut wood with a handsaw rather than a circular saw. It, it, it took me months to build this bookcase. And, and I had a full load of coursework to do, but I was tied to going over and chipping away at these shelves. And, and each time I'd go, there was more and more resentment. And I remember just saying, why did you say yes? Why didn't you say no? But, you know, sometimes we learn from experiences like that, but sometimes we don't. I mean, that really taught me a lesson. It, it was like, it got my attention. What do you think it is that we wind up kicking ourselves in the tail a hundred times, but we don't get beyond it? Now, I did get beyond it. I got much better at it. But why do some people just, they don't get the message from themselves after all the friction, all the suffering, all the bookshelves? Why do they keep on building shelves? <laughs> I think it's just the neuropathways in our brains are, you know, trained to continually say yes. And feel the resistance over and over and over again. So until you make a choice that's different, you are going to keep doing the same thing you've always done. Yeah. Okay. So there's a reflex, but there's also, let's go back to my contention that insecurity, the more insecure a person is, the more likely they feel fragile and vulnerable. So the more likely they're going to find it difficult 
to be rather courageous about taking care of themselves. So we're really talking about insecurity driving this. So I think it may help for the person that that really is getting sick and tired, like Susan seems to be, of being a yes person. It's important to realize that who in us is saying yes when we mean to say no. And I think the who in us is insecurity. So insecurity-driven thinking is what creates this reflex. So it's you against your own insecurity. And I, I think it helps to make that distinction because after, in retrospect, when you go back and kicking yourself for saying yes, ask yourself, was that me or was that my insecurity? So when you then say, well, obviously that was my insecurity, you could start to separate yourself. What would I have wanted to say? So you can start to almost rehearse who the person you want to be needs to be. You following that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they say fake it till you make it. That's right. Try to be who you want to be. Yeah. I, and I also, I think it's helpful to remember too that, you know, your responsibility is making choices that are good for you. And it is not your responsibility what someone else's reaction is. So if someone is disappointed or upset or angry, that really is not on you um, because you have the right to say no. And so if somebody is upset, like it just means that that boundary is so important because anyone who is getting um, upset and not respecting your own space or time, um, they, that, those are the people that really need boundaries. Yeah, you know, that is, wow, is that important? Uh, I always I always tell my patients, I, I say, everyone is entitled to their neurosis. Who do we think we are to tell someone they should be different, better, etc.? So when someone comes at you or gets angry at you or has a problem with you, it may be for their own very neurotic reasons that they can't tolerate your own your honesty or the world not complying to them or whatever it might be. But people have their own issues. And some people are rather brusque in their way of demanding of you and coming at you in a way that maybe you feel bullied. Maybe you feel like cornered and you don't have a choice. You're not cornered. And it may feel like you're cornered, but you're not. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you have to create some space between you and that person. And that, that could literally mean like taking a step back and, and really acknowledging that there's space. You are not this other person and you don't have to um, agree with them or give them what they want. It could also just be an, an energetic thing as well, or even action-based where you, in that moment, give yourself time to react or you just react by saying, by saying no. Yeah, you say, take a step back. But you see, if you're in a corner, it feels like you can't take a step back because you're in the corner, mm. uh, unless you have a different corner than I have. But but, but when you're in the corner, that. it feels like you're trapped. And, and the distinction really needs to be made. Feelings aren't necessarily facts. The corner is created by your own insecurity. And you really can take a step back. You really can reflect and regroup and come back with a more appropriate response. So it's, again, insecurity that creates corners. They're not real. They're feelings. And feelings aren't facts. Mm -hmm. You could say no, Lauren. You don't have to keep saying yes to me. 
I just agree with everything you're saying today. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, geez, it's nice that that I, I need you to get at least one no out before right. this podcast. I'm thinking of a okay. no, uh, but I liked what you said earlier too, and I think it's true that, pe- that as they say, people people can only meet you as far as they've met themselves. So if you're doing this work to create your own boundaries and trying to understand what feels good for you, and you come in contact with someone who hasn't done that work for themselves, they can't necessarily understand where you are coming from. And so their evolution doesn't match yours. And that often can create friction, but remembering that that's their own journey. And by you saying no to them, you might be giving them fuel to grow. Um, to learn, to become better. So even though your the reaction you receive might not be the one that you were hoping for, I think it's important to remember that everybody is growing and learning at their own rate. And it's not your responsibility what somebody else reacts with. Mm-hmm. Which, which brings to mind when you say the reaction you were hoping for. See, it's all about control, isn't it? Yeah, I, I really, I really hear what you're saying. And I'd like to just kind of emphasize the fact that saying yes, when you mean no, being a pleaser, it's all about control, trying to control outcomes, what the other person may or may not say, trying to control their reaction. So, so really what we're trying to do, what, or what insecurity is trying to do is to maintain control as opposed to hysterically trying to avoid being out of control because the insecure person can't tolerate someone being angry because we know how to handle people liking us and applauding us, but we're not so sure if insecurity is driving, we're not so sure how we'll handle anger, resentment. So what we're trying to get across, and I hear you saying it too, Lauren, loud and clear, is that we need to not take it so personally and we need to realize that being in control of our own lives doesn't necessarily mean that we have to avoid being out of control because out of control when it comes to a social dynamic is is really either governed by you or insecurity if someone is a bully and that bully comes at us making us feel out of control that's that's a normal reaction and then we have to protect ourselves But if someone is a friend and they're just asking for a favor, that's not being bullied, although you may feel bullied. And I think that's important is sometimes what what we feel when, well, I should say, when we feel bullied, it's because we're telling ourselves we don't have a choice, like we were saying just a minute ago about being in a corner. And when we perceive that we're being bullied, it's not because we are being bullied most of the time. It's because we feel we don't have a choice and that feels like we're being bullied, but yet it's by ourselves, right? Hmm. Yeah. And that's interesting. I never really thought about it from the control perspective, but one thing that I do with myself is create internal boundaries too for my, for my thoughts. And a lot of times, like if there's something that happens that bothers me, like let's say a reaction, somebody gave me an, a, a reaction where they were angry or upset with me. Uh, in the past, I think that I would ruminate on that for days and days and days until I would want to fix it. And by cultivating these internal boundaries, I've actually created these stopping points. So as soon as I notice my thoughts are going to that encounter with, with the anger, I literally cut it off 
I, I do not let my thoughts stay there. So I create really clear boundaries with my thoughts because I know, you know, that, that you're, your thoughts are so powerful. And so you do have control of your own thoughts and your own reactions to people. So while you can't control others, you can control yourself. So I think internal boundaries and, and controlling your thought patterns are just as important as external boundaries. So when your thought goes to, I can't believe that she's so angry. I hope she forgives me. Um, the internal boundary has to say stop and then repeat what's true, which is, you know, it's not my responsibility the way she feels. I told her what was true for me. And as a friend, she should respect that. Wow. Again, you just floor me with your insights, Lauren. It's, you know, you're making me a proud father, I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, that's wonderful insights. Rumination. Um, This is, you know, take, take a pleaser or yes person. And if a situation is ambiguous, why didn't she text back to me? Now, if this is a pleaser, a yes person, who is always working to control how others feel and always wants people to love them and applaud them and all this kind of stuff, then when ambiguity rears its ugly head, that person is going to interpret that. What's wrong? What did I say? And that person may go over that last conversation word for word for word. Did I... Did, did, did she take that wrong? Did I, did I say, and we ruminate and we go on and because why? Because we're feeling out of control. Again, insecurity is driving. So the person, the yes person, the pleaser person, that person has to live in a black and white world. Either you're being applauded, either you're being loved, or you're not, and you're being rejected and being uh, kind of um, uh, attacked And then there's one more or, and that is that where you don't know and you have to read between the lines. And that's like the text not being answered. So I I, I guess you'll agree with me, Lauren, that sometimes being a pleaser puts you in a vulnerable position to misinterpret life in general and to always be looking around the corner to see if you did something wrong because that pleasing yes mentality is so pervasive it ruins and rules your whole life. Yeah, definitely. I do think that with small steps towards standing up for yourself and the things that you want, you slowly come away from that um, obsession with wanting others to like you and being afraid that something you did was wrong. And I think eventually you come to, you come to realize that the truth is something you need to remind yourself of. Like in any situation, you would say, you would repeat the facts to yourself and trust that your friends or the people that respect you always know that your intentions are good. So even- Just let me jump in one second. The truth, you're right. The facts, dead center, that's where we need to be. We need to not go with our imaginations. That, that's so important. I just wanted to highlight that. So what are the facts, the verifiable facts, not the feelings? You see, that's, that's where we get in trouble, where we veer from the facts. And let's, let's take an example. Let's say I, I say to you, Lauren, Lauren, do me a favor and make sure you call before you drop by. And 
you go home and let's say you're a, a pleaser neurotic daughter, which you're not. <laughs> and and you and you go home and you say, hmm, I guess he's disinviting me or I, why is he being so formal? And so so what you're doing is you're extrapolating and you're imbuing that extrapolation with with uh, insecurity. And insecurity is saying, now, what exactly did he mean by that? And if you are a pleaser, then again, you're not in that black and white world where things are either in or out of control. And now you're beginning to ruminate about the why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with the students that I work with, we, we call that technique being a thought detective. So you actually investigate your thoughts and you go through and sift through and often most of the thoughts are not fact-based they're they're you trying to fill in a blank and when you do that it can be really dangerous because it's not often true and we also then always come back to the idea where we remember that everybody that you trust is you should be giving them the benefit of the doubt so you should you should trust that someone's intentions were good so even if that person, you know, invited you over and then went out because they forgot you were coming, um, you as a person that that trusts, you know that that wasn't meant as an assault on you. That was just a forgetful moment in that person's world. Um, and you can forgive easily because that's the truth. And you know that that's the truth. Yeah, it's almost like we we have certain expectations that people should act a certain way. And when they don't insecurity will always interpret that as a slight against us where where we're just not really seeing the facts we're interpreting the facts in a negative or slanted way due to insecurity so it's very important to to not be dragged into a feeling world as opposed to a factual world and and that takes a discipline let's face it if if like you say you go to visit someone and they say they have to leave um, it, it may be, you know, a question for anyone. Well, gee, that's kind of strange. But you're not allowed to interpret that as a slight against you, unless you have some verifiable facts to support that. So it takes a discipline to not be uh, kind of swept away by projections of insecurity. It takes a discipline to say, wait, maybe maybe you'll need to find out at a later point. Maybe you'll need to question that person. But you're not allowed to interpret that in a negative way without verifiable facts. Yeah. Yeah. And I sometimes trying to understand what the facts are on the other person's from the other person's perspective is often impossible until they have a chance to explain them to you, because we see our world from our own perspective and from our own list of experiences is, is the way that we encounter our own world. So when somebody else does something unexpected, often it doesn't make sense to us. The perspective that we see our life through is through our own individual lens. So often it takes someone else explaining what their side of the story is. It's important that we ask the other person to give their lens, their view. Yeah, I could see that. So let's let's talk a bit more about you know, taking all of this personally, when we say no, and someone gets angry, how do we avoid not taking it personally? Mm. 
being aware of the give and take dynamic between your relationships in your life is so important because the best types of relationships are always balanced. So just noticing where you're giving of your energy and is that being received and returned? Because if there's a relationship in your life that you're giving a lot to and you're not receiving the same amount back, um, there might be a problem there. Uh, in many cases, we like to give as long as it's healthy giving. Um, and we might not receive quite as much as long as you're okay with that it's it's fine but typically in the long run the relationships that balance out over time are the ones that are the most fulfilling and healthy yeah the most the ones that do balance out over time you're absolutely correct and and i think that this whole concept of taking things personally i think it's the core you know it, it's how insecurity really manifests itself that we say yes, we please people because as we've been saying, it's, it's a form of control. But the, the boogaboo, the thing that really frightens us is when we take it personally and we feel that it diminishes us, it's a slight against who we are, what we are. And that's that fragile ego. So if, if you are prone to being a yes person or a pleaser, what's important is to be courageous because you are not that fragile you've maybe developed a, a reflex of fragility, but you're not that fragile. And for you, if you are a pleaser, a yes person, to stand up and say no, however you frame that, is going to take some guts. It's going to take a type of courage. But you need to really establish yourself in this world. Lawrence started out today by talking about time. There's only so much time. It's a finite amount of time we have in our lives. And if most of it is wasted, you know, just, just being and doing things that are contrary to our better sense, to our own needs, then we really truly are wasting time. And it's the one thing that you can never get back is time. Am I being too melodramatic more, Lauren? No, I think you're spot on. I think I'm spot on. No. I know. I haven't found any place to say no to you yet. All right. Just try it on for size. Let me hear. No. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I, think, I think it's a very important uh, podcast today because I, I see this all the time. And both you and I can uh, relate to it from our own past. I wonder just how many people suffer from this, aside from the brusque people who really don't care one way or the other what you think. Uh, don't you think most people to some degree uh, kind of have this problem? I would think so. I think I think setting boundaries is, is like a daily practice and you can consciously commit to it. Uh, for me, I have this visualization in my mind, which works for me, where I literally imagine a bubble around me. Um, and in that bubble, uh, I actually visualize all the things that I will let close to me can permeate the bubble and all the things I want to keep away can't get in. It literally can't push through the bubble. So I'll, in the morning when I'm getting ready for work, that that thought comes through my mind. So I'm consciously inviting things into my life and reminding myself what I will not allow. So it's, it is for me, especially because I struggled with people pleasing for so long, it is a daily conscious practice. Yeah. You know, to some extent, you know, I, I think, I think we're afraid of, 
of giving up you know our essence our energy to someone if if we if we have them angry with us so by pleasing them we also keep them in league with who we are but we're selling out on ourselves aren't we yeah definitely and you have to be very cautious of those energy vampires out there that are relentless like there are some people that know you have no boundaries and they might not know it consciously but someone who has no boundaries is sort of like um prey for energy vampires people who know that you know whatever they need whenever they need it you're going to do it and so you actually you know become their fuel for a lot of their their life and it's completely unfair to you so you have to protect against against yeah. those people yeah it's almost like i want to suck your energy you know but <laughs> but but you know that's you know speaking of all these uh, uh nefarious characters the vampires and whatnot how about how about frankenstein think about Frankenstein. what was frankenstein frankenstein was this Com combination of all different body parts from from all these people and the lightning came and frankenstein was frankenstein but but sometimes we we take on you know so many different qualities that aren't our own in trying to live a world where you please everyone and where you say yes to everyone you're, you're really taking on everybody else's kind of body parts <laughs> and and you're becoming this frankenstein instead of yourself so I, I that is the weirdest metaphor I've ever heard you use. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so, okay, but stay with Frankenstein a second. Oh boy. Do you want to be a Frankenstein where where you're just a, a conglomerate of all these bits and pieces of other people, or do you want to be yourself? And in order to be yourself, you have to be yourself. There's the courage, you know, and that's. That's ultimately what I think we're getting at today is that the essence of saying what you mean and meaning what you say and not being a yes person, a pleaser, someone that's trying to control everyone in the world in order to protect ourselves. I mean, okay, so we're survival machines. We protect ourselves from physical danger and we're trying to protect ourselves from what? Well, here's the rub we're protecting ourselves from insecurities, projections of danger you know we're seeing danger in safe places we're assuming that there's true and inherent danger for saying no to someone who wants you to do something and so we're kind of giving up the bubble maybe that's a good way of putting it we're giving up the bubble do you see it that way yeah i do and it's funny because as a teacher i know that kids crave boundaries they love knowing where their limits are and and they almost need to know that so that they don't have to figure it out for themselves so often a teacher will spend the first whole week of school literally just um, explaining what the boundaries are and i you know kids sometimes will try to test them but they they appreciate when you hold the boundary um, mm -hmm. it means they don't have to do it for themselves and i would venture to guess that adults feel the exact same way. When you know what to expect from somebody and you respect them and they respect you in return, uh, it creates a much more fulfilling relationship. So creating your own boundaries and then maintaining them is a gift for yourself and for other people. Yeah, and and one thing about self-coaching is, is that you do need to coach yourself. You do need to practice this stuff and do it incrementally, start off small, but realize that being a yes person or a pleaser is an acquired habit. And like all habits, 
it's learned, and it can be broken. So remind yourself again and again and again, you don't want insecurity driving, you want to get behind that wheel. And getting behind the wheel means, as we said today, understanding that life is really composed of a finite amount of time. We want to start spending our time more in a more meaningful way and not allowing insecurity to drive us around willy-nilly down alleys that we don't want to be driven down. Let, let's start pulling back and steering toward the life we need to have, the life we deserve. And the only way to do that is to realize the habit nature of insecurity and to start, you know, dialing it back one exercise at a time, one experience at a time. You know, it's important to, to not let the vampires or the Frankensteins or, or all the ghoulie people <laughs> of the world to come in and steal our thunder. Yeah, I think I think three steps might kind of sum it all up. So the first would be to get really clear on what your yes feels like. What are the things that you do want to show up for fully in your life and, and become comfortable with knowing your yeses and your noes. Number two would be to practice setting the boundary um, by, by practicing your no, whatever that sounds like. And number three is to continually remind yourself that other people's reactions are not your responsibility. Mm. Boy, that, that sums it all up for today. So I'm going to close out by saying, uh, let me suck your energy. No. <laughs> oh, you did it. Yeah, you did said it. no. Very good. All right. <laughs> so Lauren, I, I'm going to uh, say uh, adieu until next week. And uh, hopefully you and I will be out there just practicing our knownness. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. Any closing words before we go? No. <laughs> Two in a row. Oh, man, I, I'm, I'm taking it personally now, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to have to hang up on this podcast and then start ruminating. Why did she say no twice? Now, the first time she was being cute, but the second time, hmm. Yeah, you can go think about that. All righty. And, you know, visit our selfcoaching.net website where you can learn more about our self-coaching philosophy. And check out my number one best-selling books while you're there, now published in 10 languages. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. By definition, victims are powerless, and you are not powerless. Remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join me and Lauren, and let's make it simple Believe together. Reach out for your dreams Don't surrender, there is more than it seems Hold on and fight, follow your heart This is your way, life is what you make of it Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams